like last time I jumped right into it and never prayed, started out praying. I closed the prayer, but okay, so let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks and we are so grateful that you are a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God and you have uh, determined to uh, rescue us and to make us into a people for yourself, that we would call you our God and you would call us your people. So we are just so thankful for that. We pray that you would uh, give us your thoughts, would, your, would you fill us with your spirit, that we might grasp more and more and, and know and love you more and more. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so we've been at this for about six or seven weeks now. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, when this was uh, being decided upon in, in the session, uh, I was really one of the, you know, elders really voting and saying, this is, we got to do this, you know. And it was kind of coming into the, by the back door because uh, it was really the covenant of marriage that had gotten my attention uh, numerous times in the past five, six years. And uh, when, when the possibility of doing covenants came up, I said, we have to do this. And it, it came up because in reviewing our officers' exams, there was a question in there to identify the, the covenants in the Bible. And so in reviewing officer exams like we were doing on the session, I said, that's, that's a good topic for Sunday school. So I'm glad we're, we're doing this. Uh, I'm just curious, you know, after six or seven weeks now, hope, I hope you've been reading your chapters week by week and, you know, certainly discussing this in Sunday school is, is helpful. But, you know, are there any big takeaways that, that you have, uh, you know, a eureka moment, things that you have discovered uh, during this, this study that you might want to share? Anyone? <laughs> Always tough to, okay, Jay, I think. It's half planned, but half it's God's working. Uh, the scriptures are all connected, and I, I, I see the study of, of the covenants connecting to sermons, connecting to our Bible study that we have. It's all from, uh, from God, and it's a revelation, and we can see connections everywhere. For myself, uh, in, in looking through scripture, reading scripture, because of the study in covenants, I see things differently. I see things that come out that... Uh, I don't think I would have uh, noticed before. And so it's been really very, uh, for me anyway, very, very beneficial to be, to be going through this. Um, in my last 18 years of my career, I was a manager, a line manager, maintaining a complex system, the cost accounting system of the healthcare in the VA. And uh, we, we gave a lot of presentations and they were problem solving at, at a certain level that always percolated up to the CFO and we had to explain what was going on when there was, you know, data integrity problems or, or holdups. And so I've always had to understand the details and then do an executive summary. So when I read these chapters, sometimes I'm kind of o overwhelmed with the technical details, but always my mindset is I have to come away with something. I have to have bullet points, things that that really jump out at me. And I, I'm hoping today to share a little bit uh, of that with you and, and hopefully, you know, you could share some of those discoveries uh, with the rest of the class as well. Uh, so we're doing chapter eight, but uh, I thought that it would be good to uh, do a quick, you know, review. So this is, you know, this is what we did in the VA. First slide, what am I, what am I going to talk about? Do a quick review through all the chapters. I mean, just, just you know, what, what kernels of gold are we going to grab out of each chapter and carry forward? And, and you can see how uh, these covenants are all connected. They're all kind of single in purpose. And that's what I, I would like to do because basically with Abraham's covenant, we have this unique uh, view of the ceremony. And there are things happening in the ceremony and they're, they're, they're head scratchers. And really... Uh, 
for, for Abraham at that time, the, the covenants were well known. The ceremonies were well known, and they were, they were common practice for a, a lord in dealing with the subordinates, working for him, serving him, to enter into, into covenants, agreements uh, that had requirements on, on them and had obligations even on the, uh, on the overlord. So like Matt meant, mentioned a few weeks ago, I don't know if it's still, if you still remember, the suzerain vassal covenant. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a certain model, it's a certain uh, structure that uh, was very common and were in, in agreements that took place. And even in, in, in the, this week's chapter, uh, an extra biblical uh, uh, information on, on a covenant is, is shared about somebody granting somebody a city. I mean, this is this suzerain must have been very wealthy to say, I'm going to give you a city, you know. So uh, very interesting. Uh, so we'll go through this. I'm not going to read this off to you, but uh, the plan is to see how all of this is just very much, very closely connected. So start with the definition. Uh, initially, when I first read this, bond in, in, in blood, sovereignly, and this, I said, well, it sure is, is not common language that I'm used to thinking of. Uh, you know, I think of a bond, I think of corporate bonds or municipal bonds. A bond in blood, well, okay, what's, what exactly is that? And I'm glad that, you know, he put it this way because basically looking at all these covenants, they all have these features. There's the sim symbolism of blood. Uh, in the case of uh, the requirements of the covenant not being met, met uh, there was blood. There was there was punishment. There was there, there were sanctions. I guess uh, the main thing is that the covenants are, are things that God event has entered into with various people, various times, and in in doing so, He has create, created a, a relationship, something that was not there before, a uh, relationship with uh, with man. At the man, at the at our level, at the human level, we enter into covenants as well uh, and create agreements you know, obligations on both sides. And one of the points that Robertson makes that's very clear is that even though the word covenant doesn't appear till later in Genesis, uh, the concept is there. Even when the word doesn't appear, it's, it's, it's there uh, that we have this co covenant structure. So here's something I, I just pulled off the internet. Some of this is pretty, is pretty applicable to, you can see that in all the covenants. Uh, that we're going to be studying. You know, the, the vassal is the underlord. Uh, the suzerain is the sovereign, the one who's in authority, who's God. And uh, especially, the vassal is not like a peasant. He, he is actually a, a, like a lieutenant serving the, the captain. And, and when you think of creation, the creation covenant, that's kind of the picture we get. God has created the universe, and he's turned it over to man. He's delegated to man. To, to till the ground, to have dominion, and sub, subdue it. All right. Uh, this one kind of hit me, the, the, the unity of the covenants. Like, what? how are they related? They're all different, different times spread out, you know, you know over a thousand years from one to the other. Um, you know, how are they, how are they related? And, and this is where I'm going to just jump out just for a second. seems to really jump out oh that's right this is not going to be all right forget it i'll just i'll just state what i'm trying to trying to say um all right uh, in creation god creates the universe and he puts man in charge and there's a covenantal relationship between god and man Man didn't choose to be created. He didn't say, yeah, I want to till the garden. I want to, you know, uh, take all, subdue the earth. God made it so. In creating man and his image, man was God's representative. That was the relationship to man. And just like the, the suzerain slide said, there were benefits to the man. There were things to enjoy. 
there, were, there was good food to eat. There was work, productive work to do. There were a lot of benefits. Um, but really, what it comes down to, I think when you push it down to the, most, the, the common, least common denominator, God wants to be our God. He wants us to be his people. That's the relationship that was created you know, on, on day six of creation, something that did not exist before, something unique, something really wonderful. And he was granting us responsibility for uh, subduing this earth. What, what an amazing thing to, to be able to do that and being given that responsibility. Our God, his people, it's throughout scripture, uh, man created in God's image, and God is, you know, sovereign. He is persistent in achieving this objective. Even though the fall of man took place in the Garden of Eden, God is still, he's, he's, his purposes are never thwarted. And he's going to have his people and we're going to be his, uh, his people and he's going to be our God. That is his sovereign purpose. Uh, and we can see that in, in a lot of the, in the covenants that we're studying. Um, some of this is, is summed up in each of the chapters as we go along. God has judged sin and he will judge sin. And, and one of the things we learn in, in the flood with Noah is that um, God must punish sin. Sin will be, uh, will be judged and sin must be punished. But the, the big thing is that he's not left us in a, in a fallen uh, state. And uh, he is uh, proceeding to redeem us. Diversity, again, you could look at it different ways, covenant of works versus covenant of grace, and, and yet they're all related. The covenant uh, of, of grace came along because we failed in the covenant of works. Uh, but the main thing is that, uh, uh, and this is something that Robertson says, is that um, God's purposes in creation uh, will be accomplished through his covenant of redemption with us. And he will be our God and we'll be his people. Uh, main thing about creation, that creation chapter, God's created a relationship between God and us. You know, that was the relationship. We're obligated to him. We're dependent upon him. Now, following the fall, uh, this was God's response to the rebellion, uh, a new covenant, all right? And these are some of the things that we, we learned in, in, in this chapter. There were curses and there were blessings. Um, and let's just stop for a second here and just take a look at this. Let's go through this. You know, curses and blessings. The first bullet, enmity between the serpent's seed and the woman's, and the woman's seed with the bruised heel and the bruised head. Is it a curse or a blessing? Well, okay, let's say for the, from the perspective of man, Adam and Eve, it's a, it is a blessing. Uh, I, I, I looked at this, and, you know, when it says commencement, you said commencement of what? What's starting here? And what's starting here is that God did not leave us in our fallen state. Even though the rule of this world had deceived us, uh, Satan took over temporarily, uh, God did not leave that as the uh, end, po end point, the end, end stage in, in establishing the conflict between good and evil, between God and Satan. This was, the, this was the battle that would be taking place throughout all the ages, an amazing, you know, uh, conflict that we see, you know, daily. And also in, in scripture, we see constantly this battle uh, between good and evil, the Pharisees, you know, persecuting and, and seeking the death of Christ. They got him to be uh, executed, uh, and they thought, great, we're through with him. Uh, we're back to situation normal. We're back to our status and our, and our riches. But no, he, Christ arose from the dead. Um, it was that we were not going to stay in this, this false state, that God is, is working to redeem us. Uh, 
the rest, some of them are, are, are curses, things that we live with, you know, conflict in marriage, pain in, in childbirth, frustration at work. I mean, all of us that have had jobs, we know what that's like. Jay. you know, we, we know marriage is the uh, union of two sinful people. Uh, there's going to be difficulties. That's just the, the nature of, of uh, fallen man, right? Um, the main thing that I want to point out is that even in, the, in this, this uh, covenant with Adam, uh, we see hope. We see hope that, that God has, has not left us in the fallen, fallen state. He's going to be battling... Uh, serpent and his seed and uh, he's going to reclaim us and uh, that so I, I pointed out Genesis chapter 3 verse 21 this is that one verse that says that God got skins and covered them up man was trying to cover up his sin his, his nakedness with, with leaves and stuff like that you know, which is not that not very comfortable at least but but God covered them with skins and so we had in, in the garden the first sacrifice of an animal a blood sacrifice without the shedding of blood there's no forgiveness of sins and this was a this was a picture pointing to us to Christ the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of, of the world so there's hope and so this is one thing that's wonderful about this covenant that there's hope that God has a plan and he's executing it <clears throat> So with the chapter on, on Noah and the preservation, uh, covenant of preservation that uh, Robertson calls it, um, I'm going to ju just drop down to the, the bottom two bullets. God demonstrates how he hates sin and how he must and will judge it, but he also states that a permanent solution is needed. You know, I, I didn't see this until Robertson explained it, about why it says that man's you know, heart is, is sinful always. But yet he says he's not going to ever destroy the uh, man again. And the explanation is that if God had to, had to repeat the flood of Noah every time uh, the sinfulness of man had reached a certain level, threshold, he'd be doing it every, every hundred years or some, on some schedule. He'd have to keep on doing it. But he says, no, I'm going to seek a permanent solution. Who is Christ? Dave. Sorry, I, I, I don't think I can answer your question. Uh, so there is there is judgment. There's judgment on Israel throughout history. Well, the thing is, this. Uh, <laughs> all right, I, I I don't I can't answer your question, Dave. Sorry, Teresa. should have asked this question when we covered but go ahead no what what is the what is your question
123, you said? So, uh, okay, I'm going to take a take a stab at an answer. Okay. So, in the in the flood of Noah, God judged all mankind. They were all wicked. Evil was all that they did and all how they lived, except for the except for the family of, of Noah. In instituting this capital punishment, he was giving uh, man responsibility to to punish the killer, okay, that, that now it was man's responsibility to do that. So again, we, you know, like I mentioned earlier, delegation uh, of the creation, God gave, delegated to man to, to till the ground, subdue the world, have dominion over, over the world. Now he was handing over responsibility that, you know, you will, you know, take, you know, blood for blood, you know, for somebody who commits murder. That's, that's what I think is, is happening there. You know, anybody else? Matt's out sick, his whole family's away. I got no professional support, but we have, uh, have other people that might know something or have an opinion on this. Landon. thing that certainly uh, we can see throughout history is that God is very long-suffering and, and patient with us. He's tolerated, you know, sinful man and, you know, man being a very unfaithful, looking at the history of Israel, uh, God's always calling them back and they might even attempt to uh, do what's right, but they, they wind up compromising, they wind up falling back into sin and, and being disobedient. So, God is long-suffering, and uh, he's trying to emphasize that sin is, that he takes sin seriously, he hates sin, and he, and he must punish it. All right, so we're finally going to get uh, to this uh, uh, very important, the sovereign call. Uh, uh, Robertson points out that there was not a discussion taking place, not a negotiation God called Abraham. It, it was uh, an effective call. God obey, uh, Abraham obeyed. He, he followed God's instruction. And he believed God. And the and, and, uh, New Testament tells us that and we're told that, that uh, it was afforded, accorded to him as, as righteousness. So the ceremony is what's really interesting because there's, there's an awful lot uh, that's in there. So God provides instruction, and it, apparently Abraham is very familiar with the ceremony, and he, and he follows the instructions. And we have this picture. So let's, uh, uh, let's actually, let me read that, and then we'll, uh, we'll discuss this 
you'll discuss this. I'll just listen. Genesis 15, 8, 18, 8 through 17. Here we go. Uh, so what precipitated this was, was Abraham was looking for some kind of assurance. How can he be sure that this is all the things that God has promised him is gonna, are going to happen? But he said, O oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he, Abraham, brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each over, each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in an old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, and then the rest of the description of the land. So we have some things going on here. And we have uh, God's instruction, Abraham executing things, showing some familiarity with, with the uh, suzerain vassal covenant. He did what he's supposed to do. And then he's shooing away the birds. And then we see this flaming torch and fire pot. Did I read that part? Oh, I did. Okay. So... <clears throat> What are we to make of this this ceremony? What is uh, what does our author tell us? It's like the Olympics. The torch is running itself through the, the pieces. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah. So this, the symbolism here is that. If the participants in this covenant fail to accomplish uh, what they're supposed to, do not fulfill their obligation, what has happened to these animals shall happen to the, the, to the person who fails, the participant in, in the covenant, right? That's the picture we have. And, uh, you know, that's exactly the picture in, in, in the covenant of creation. There was a requirement upon man. Man disobeyed. And what resulted? Death. Blood's required. Here we have uh, this, this uh, symbolism. And Abram is the beneficiary of this covenant. And where is he at? What's his position? Right. He's asleep. He's in a trance. He's oblivious. He's, as far as he knows, he's having this dream, and he's seeing this flaming torch and this smoking uh, oven going between the carcasses. But he's he's on his side. This covenant, he has no he has no participation. He's he's the beneficiary, but he's he's asleep in a trance, having a dream on his side. Um, I don't know about you, but when I, when I remember first read this, it was mysterious to me. When I read commentary on it, I'm not necessarily jumping to the conclusion that this flaming torch and this smoking oven, uh, oh, that's God. Except, you know, thinking of, of the Exodus and how God led 
Israel through the wilderness and uh, you know how he showed that his presence was there with them was you know a flaming torch at night and a column a cloud uh, uh, during the day uh, but the main thing is that the commentators and I, and I agree that, that God is taking responsibility to fulfill this covenant. And he's even given a, a prophecy of the, the suffering of Israel uh, as, uh, you know, slaves in Egypt as a sign. It's sort of like if, they, if, if people were really aware of this, this prophecy and they're, and they're in Egypt, hey, we're being enslaved. God's working. We, we must be moving to that point where we're going to, Pretty soon, we're going to take take the land. Uh, I think they were probably, you know, more concerned about being uh, mistreated and, you know, hard labor. Dave. Yeah. The the, the fallenness is is definitely there. Uh, they saw the the ten plagues that God, you know, put Egypt through. They saw it firsthand they were witnesses of God's power and yet you know they're in the wilderness for a little while and they're ready to go off the tracks go off the rails and again you know drift and, and stray from God so okay Ronnie yeah You know, when I read this, one of the things, one of the thoughts that crossed my mind is, you know, we've all had dreams, and uh, I don't know whether you've ever had a dream where, you know, you're trying to do something, and uh, you're frustrated. You, just, you can't get something done. I've had dreams where I walk out of a, you know, an office building, and I'm trying to find my car, and it's like a, this large corporation, and there's a thousand cars out there, and I can't find my car. I don't know if you've ever had uh, a dream like that, but but Abram's first reaction was to shoo away the birds, and now he's asleep. Well, you know, did the birds stop attacking the animals? You know, and, and what's he doing now? He's not shooing away those birds anymore, right? He's he's asleep. He's inactive, and. I, when, I, when I saw this and, I, and, and thought about this, there is this picture that man is always leaning towards sin. He's always leaning toward disobedience. And, and the curse upon them is that their flesh is going to be food for the birds. And although Adam starts out shooting away the birds, now he's asleep on the side. And this, this, this problem, this tendency of us to sin is still... We're still uh, stuck with it. But this is where the covenant, God committing to himself uh, that he is going to fulfill this is what's going to, you know, save us. It's not within our power. Uh, so that's that was, you know, the way I looked at this ceremony. Any other thoughts on this? Well, it's it's a it's it's a symbolic of of, of of a curse, okay. So when 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 Moses gave Israel the second law in Deuteronomy, there was a you know he had he had this tribe separated, one on Mount Gerizim, one on Mount Ebal, and to one he, he pronounced the blessings and the curses. He says your 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 flesh will be food for the birds in the sky. You know it's it means that you're you're out of the kingdom. You're you're banished to hell. It's it's a it's not a good thing. But the tendency is there that this this might fail, but it's not going to fail because God has has committed Himself to it. Um, in Hebrews chapter six, we actually have a good summary of what's what's taking place here. So uh, let's turn to Hebrews chapter six. Uh, verse 13, 613, Hebrews 613. It's great when, you know, you're looking at something and you're trying to 
understand it, and you, and you, you pop over to another passage, and it's explained uh, clearly, much more clearly than I can do it. So 6, 613 through 18, I think we'll cover it. Okay, 6.13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. It's crazy. That's, that's, that's what took place. God committed to it. God is assuring it's going to take place. It's not going to be dependent upon us to uh, be be obedient on our own. Uh, we're not going to. Uh, we can't. We're not going to be able to do that. Uh, reading through the uh, history of Israel in, in in Chronicles, Second Chronicles, you see the kings. Some of them started out bad. They did what was evil in the sight of God, and some some did what was right in the sight of God. Even the ones that did what was right in the sight of God, toward the end of their reign, they compromised. They fell away, and they turned away from God. It's, it's not within our power, but God is going to fulfill uh, his purposes. And this covenant establishes it, that he's the one that's going to be working. So th this, these two items going down, these, these two symbols, the flaming torch and the, the smoking oven going between, it's like this... There's two parties going down between them, both pointing to God as the one who's going to make this happen. All right, we've already read through that. Uh, so here's a couple of questions for, for discussion. How should we respond to this presentation of, of self-malediction that God is, is saying, It'll be upon my myself if, if I, I fail to fulfill this covenant. Any thoughts? Yes, definitely. There's also, you know, the, the, the depth to the failure of, of this covenant, you know, that we know that, that Christ eventually goes to the cross and does die for us. And uh, we know that that's, you know, necessary for us to be forgiven. So th this is, this, uh, this covenant with the, the obligation till death that, you know, we can't, we can't fulfill the requirement uh, of, uh, of righteousness before God, and yet Christ does it. And uh, he does, you know, die for us. So this, this should be really a, a great confidence uh, and hope that God is, is making it happen. Landon?
you have to, they're all, they're all connected. It's, it's, it's really a, a, a beautiful thing to, to, to look at and to consider. Thank you. Thanks, Landon. Um, so we already talked about this. Abraham is asleep. He's a non-participant. He's a beneficiary of, of this covenant. Uh, so it's not on, on, on him. And, you know, oh, by the way, are we in Abraham? Are we, uh, are we also the beneficiary of that blessing that, that was given to us in, in this covenant with, with uh, Abraham? Absolutely. Uh, Abraham's asleep on the side, unable to chase away the birds, unable to fulfill the, uh, you know, the requirements of this covenant. God is, has, has put himself there and has taken an oath. He's made the promise and he's taken the oath in, in this ceremony. And the great thing is, you know, uh, in Romans 9, 6, it says, but it's not through the word of God, it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all who are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Sorry, what? Yes, please. Robertson in, in the chapter, he cites a lot of uh, other passages that allude to the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, thank you, Landon, for pointing those, those scriptures out in the New Testament, all pointing back to this, uh, this covenant where God takes the oath and God uh, promises to fulfill the requirements of, of the covenant. Uh, Jeremiah 34, you know, if you, if you read the chapter, an example of an attempt to renew the covenant and what happens almost immediate failure <laughs> what they commit to and and they walk through the pieces say you know the scribes and the leaders walk through not everyone not all the people but the leaders say we're, we're committed and we're going to fulfill this and, and what do they do the requirement to release the slaves they renege on it and and immediately fail to fulfill because again we are, we are sinful people. We're unable to uh, save ourselves. Um, Hebrews chapter 9 uh, basically is another explanation of what is, what is taking place in the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, pointed to Jesus, that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, so we might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. And I think just for completeness, there was this discussion about last will and testament versus a covenant and we have this idea that uh, last will and testament takes place upon the death of the testator and how does that you know relate to to uh, a covenant where there's death symbolized and there's death required if, if the covenant requir requirements are failed failed to live up to uh, so you know lost my train of thought, sorry. Um, yeah, I know. I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm not that uh, awake yet. Yeah. Go ahead, please.
Well, you know, the, the, the thing about Melchizedek, it's if, if you did a, do a word search, I think he appears three times in Genesis, in Psalms, and then in Hebrews. And he appears on this plane. You know, the, the, the Jews, they look to Abraham. He's like symbolic of God. In, uh, with with uh, the rich man Lazarus, you know, the picture of Lazarus being in the, in the bosom of Abraham is that he's in the presence of God. And, and Abraham is revered. In Genesis, we see Abraham giving tribute to someone who's greater. Wasn't this Melchizedek, you know, uh, is it uh, Prince, King of Salem, King of Peace? Appears and and Abraham is is giving homage and paying homage and, and tribute to this person who is obviously greater than him. And we see it, see in in Hebrews it's explained that Jesus is a high priest on, of the order of Melchizedek. So you, yes, good uh, good connection there. Uh, it's all we you know we're we're, we're really blessed by having the scriptures that we can see the big picture. Some of these things that we, we see uh, in, the, in the covenants, they're a bit mysterious. You know, if, if all we had was Genesis chapter chapter 3, and we see about enmity between the woman's seed and the serpent's seed, it's like, what does that mean? But we, because we have the rest of scripture, we can see what, what is being communicated there. And uh, so we're, we're, we're blessed in that way. Um, when I was asking earlier about like what are the things that, that jump out at you, any kind of eurekas, any kind of uh, moments of like clarity, things that you'd never thought of before, I I I, uh, I see verses differently. I think because of the covenant uh, study, and uh, you know when I when I think of the. Abrahamic covenant and the presence of God making the promise and taking the oath upon himself. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Matthew closed the service with a benediction, one we've heard many, many times. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. God is faithful. He's, his purposes will be accomplished. And he, in, in the oath he took in the Abrahamic covenant, he committed himself to making this happen. And, uh, you know, the comment that Jay said about Sunday school weaving in and, and, and connecting with, with uh, our, our sermons, uh, Matt and Andrew are going to be uh, preaching from uh, Joel. And, you know, I, I don't know if that, if when you think of the minor prophet Joel, if, if, if what jumps out at you jumps out at you is, is the comment that the statement that God is going to pour his spirit out on mankind. Uh, that's, that's connected to how God is accomplishing this, this covenant, how he's fulfilling the requirement of that covenant he made with Abraham. He is going to make it happen. We are unable to save ourselves. We're unable to be uh, righteous, we see the law, and we can't keep it. But God is uh, going to pour out His Spirit and fill us with His Spirit and enliven us and enable us to even desire to uh, obey His commandments, and then empower us uh, to actually obey His commandments. So He changes our hearts, changes our desires, and that's the way it's going to happen. That's the way it is happening. Um. Thinking about uh, God's purpose in creation to establish a people for himself. Man falls. The covenant of redemption is, is, is in play. That's God's plan from before the foundations of the world to redeem a people for himself. I think of uh, that this verse came out, just jumped in my mind about uh, when, when Christ was meeting the woman at the well. And he, and he says, but the hour is coming is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. It's not any, anything different. That is what God planned in creation, in creating man, that we would worship him.
we serve him. Nothing, God is still on plan A and he's executing it. And the, and the thing that I see about the covenants that's great is that there's like this unfolding mystery, which actually that's a title of a book uh, that, that we I'd studied a couple years ago, uh, of how God is going to accomplish that. It's an unfolding mystery. We see more and more detail, and then we see the person of Christ. Uh, so uh, that's, that's it for today. Uh, I, you know, Teresa, you asked a, a question. I'll open it up. Any, any, any questions, any comments, anything that, that uh, was puzzling you or anything that, you know, you'd want to discuss in these last five minutes? It's uh, open form at, at this point. I, I kind of have exhausted myself and my, my brain. And so I, I've got nothing else to share. But really, uh, any thoughts, any comments? Are you are you uh, are you enjoying this study that that we're studying the covenants? You feel uh, you're benefiting from it. Are you growing in your love and knowledge of the Lord, Ronnie? It's been it's been good, and you could see this this construct of the covenant, you know, throughout history, and and God is is working it. Uh, uh, when when Andrew preached uh, last week or it was week before, I forget, you know, in, from Ecclesiastes, he was saying God is working, God is at work, and uh, you know we see that, you know, through the covenants, He is working out everything according to His plan. And he's not going to let us slip through his fingers. We're all, if you're here, you're, you're a, chill, a child of the, of the promise. And what a, what a blessing that is, that, that uh, God is not letting us uh, remain fallen, that he is redeeming us, and that we have, you know, an eternity with him to look forward to. All right. Oh, yeah. Please, Kathy. Yeah, it's this is this is not like an easy read. You know, it sounds like oh, hey, read twenty, thirty pages every week, piece of cake. Some of these things, you know, I'm I'm stopped and I read it again, and, and, and it causes me to to you know meditate and think about this and think of other verses, what other verses you know tell me and how they might apply, and, and you know increase my uh, understanding. But this this is challenging. Uh, but it's all, it is really worth the effort for us to pour into it. And to, uh, but I, I do feel like sometimes trying to cover what we, what we read in a chapter in one hour is like, you know, you, we could spend, you know, a couple of hours on, on each chapter for sure. You know, we're trying to keep things moving along. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, it is challenging, but it, it is worth uh, the effort to, to uh, study it. Yeah. Yeah.
Well, it's, it's not quite like that. It's not like we're, we're not like robots that God has now reprogrammed us and we just like, you know, we just obey. Um, you know, Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God at work in you. And our response should be like, God is working in me. Am I uh, giving him the time to work on me? Am I, you know, reading my Bible regularly? Am I praying regularly? Am I attending, you know, worship, you know, on Sunday? Am I gathering with God's people? Uh, we have to be a willing participant. Yeah, it's not, it's not like we're not a part of this. So it's not, it is not like, you know, I get saved. Okay, great. And, you know, that we're, we're created in Christ, recreated in Christ uh, unto good works. So there are, there are works that are expected. And, it, and, you know, again, Scripture tells us it's not the works that save us, but they are evidence that we're saved by the works, that the works that we, we perform. Eric. connected to him that's uh, the, the thing about the, the covenant is that you know the covenant of marriage uh, I, I don't know if you remember uh, back in October when I, I led a class on sexual purity um, this book that I was reading had this statement in there that said the marriage relationship is the relationship that we the bride of Christ will be with Christ with Christ forever we're going to be in a marital relationship with our Lord and Savior. That's, that's the relationship. And so we are, we're, we're connected. We're connected to, to God. We're his creatures, but we're, we're, the, we're the special ones, the ones created in his image. Um, the deer that were walking through my yard the other day, they don't worship God. They don't uh, pray. They, they're, they're beautiful animals. But we're, we're created in God's image. We are uh, ethical, moral uh, people. And uh, you know, we, uh, we do worship God. We're connected to him. All right. Uh, I think that's going to be it. <laughs> Let me close in prayer. <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word what it reveals to us. Uh, thank you for helping us to understand it and to take it to heart and to be uh, uh, filled with hope because you're working in the world. You're working in us. You've taken up residence in us. You have marked us unto salvation. You have uh, given us your spirit as a guarantee that we belong to you, that we're betrothed to you and that we're going to spend eternity with you, and that uh, by your side there are joys and pleasures forevermore. Lord, we look forward to that. Uh, in the meantime, we pray that you would help us to work, to serve you, uh, to share the gospel with those around us, that we might add citizens to your kingdom, that we might uh, add children uh, of the promise uh, to your kingdom. Lord, we uh, do lift up our, our pastor's family. We pray that you keep them safe. We lift up our brother, Scott Owens. We ask that you uh, reduce the clot that is in him and restore him to good health. Uh, please comfort and, and, and keep uh, Kathy in uh, your uh, covering of peace that is uh, possible because of Christ. Thank you for this time, and uh, we look forward to worshiping you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.